Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome back. We're going to dive in this week to another special episode because we are in this season at the end of Easter where we uh, have a kind of transition and we have some big, um, big holidays that happen. Um, So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, um, which uh, we celebrate uh, 50 days after, um, after Easter. And then we're going to talk about Trinity Sunday, which is uh, the Sunday that we celebrate um, the Sunday after Pentecost. And those are kind of um, big feast days in the church. And there's a lot that can be said about them, especially if we get into talking about um, the theology behind them and whatnot. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But we also just want to talk about what do these celebrations mean for us? How do we celebrate them? How how does the church celebrate them? And what exactly are we celebrating? So, um, Justin, what do you what do you want to say about Pentecost and the Trinity? First of all, um, will you be preaching on Trinity Sunday, or will you be delegating that to um, to somebody else, as is often the case? Two things. I'm going to answer that question first. I will be preaching because I find it sad at times when we and you'll hear, right? So Trinity Sunday, I'm sure you're the same as me, and I've been guilty of this. So I want to say that very clearly. I have been guilty of this in the past when I have preached on Trinity Sunday and may very well be guilty of this in a couple of days when I preach on Trinity Sunday. I'm trying not to. Sometimes Trinity Sunday is where I hear some of my worst sermons, um, some I've produced and some I've listened to from other preachers, because I think we overthink and we try to think through the mystery of the Trinity the mystery of God. Um, But yet a lot of people will shy away from even talking about the Trinity on Trinity Sunday because of the fear of speaking heresy. And yet the Trinity is not arguably, it is the foundation of our faith is in the Trinity. Yeah. The not talk about the Trinity is I think a hugely missed opportunity. And what I was going to say to kind of set the stage for this, this, you know, because liturgically, these are seven days apart. I mean, Pentecost, the Feast mm-hmm. of the Pentecost, and then you have Trinity Sunday. One Sunday, and then the next. And I think to kind of set the stage for Pentecost, just to kind of put it in this historical terms. So Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. Jesus uh, rises out of the tomb, and then he proceeds to appear post-resurrection in different ways and different forms. Not different forms, different ways to the disciples to do specific things um, and to teach. And then, of course, nearing the end of his time before the ascension, which is 10 days before Pentecost, he says that a the advocate will come. And, um, and then we come to Pentecost. And Pentecost we find in the book of Acts. And this is a really powerful story of the disciples and others, lots of others, gathered together. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of God descends upon this group and uh, in the form of a flame fire. Um, and all of a sudden they can understand each other. And all of a sudden they're all speaking and they can understand each other. And there's this great moment of unity in the spirit. 
and 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 in many ways, not many ways. Again, I'm using the wrong words here. The church is birthed out of this reality. The spirit comes amongst God's people again, uh, and the disciples and those that are there are then go out and carry out this missionary activity uh, that Jesus had very well forecast for the apostles. So this this is going to happen. Here it is. Um, and, and that's what we celebrate on Pentecost. So some of the things you see that are really cool, like at St. Luke's, we had, we had flames everywhere. You know, you 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 have the dove. You 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 you're you're bringing out images of the Holy Spirit that you've seen throughout church history, and you're lifting those up in red. It is a red feast day, so liturgically it's a red day. So you see red everywhere. A lot of times, uh, people wear red. Uh, in the case of St. Luke's, that that happened. People wore red. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 it was a powerful day, and and you you do some creative things in the liturgy to lift up that moment, uh, the day of Pentecost from the Book of Acts. So in our case, we had uh, people read in different languages, and then we rounded out to English so everybody in the room could understand. Kind of modeling, not the perfect. I'll be the first to admit it's not the perfect representation of what happens in the Book of Acts. It's a very hard thing to recreate. Um, since we weren't there, but it gives people a sense of what it's like not to understand and all of a sudden understand and understand Uh their own language. Um, So you see that happen in churches and then churches get all sorts of creative with Pentecost, uh, but those are kind of the common things that happen from a practical standpoint. So when I was a kid, there's a lot to, there's a little bit to unpack there before we jump into Trinity Sunday, although I, they're very much linked together and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, where do you want to go on Pentecost? Yeah, well, when I was a kid, the church that I grew up going to, um, uh, still very much a, a home church for me in, in a lot of ways, St. James Episcopal Church in Midvale, Utah. Um, we Pentecost was a big deal, and I loved Pentecost. We all wore red. That was, you know, I, I think they would have let you in the door without red, but nobody tried. Um, so everybody wore red. And then this was in the like late 80s um, before our uh, sort of environmental consciousness started kicking in. But we would all have red balloons and like we would release them during the service and all let these like, you know, hundred and fifty or whatever red balloons like go into the sky. Um, and that was like, so cool. It was like a really neat thing to do. Of course, no church would do that now because it is very bad for the environment to release balloons into the air, but it was like a really fun demonstration and, uh, and a neat thing. And then Pentecost just personally for me has always been kind of significant. My confirmation was on the feast of Pentecost when I was 11 years old. Um, in 1991. So that I just celebrated my 30th uh, anniversary of my confirmation in the Episcopal Church. Um, so that was like a really fun service. And then um, my husband and I just celebrated our 20th anniversary and we got married on Pentecost weekend. Um, so it was Pentecost the, on the Sunday. Um, so our you know first Sunday as a married couple was, was Pentecost. Um, and so that was exciting. So Pentecost just is, you know, it's a neat liturgical feast and I love it as a priest, but I also have loved it as a lay person for my whole life. 
um, before, you know, ever really digging into these liturgical or theological ideas of what's happening with it. Well, let's dive into those theological and liturgical ideas of what's happening. Yeah, good idea. So, uh, you know, I, geez, are we, have we covered enough the, the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, just the, this idea of the birth of the church that, that, you know, what we celebrate is this gift of the Holy Spirit being breathed upon us, um, you know, given to us by God as this, uh, you know, powerful wind that moves or these flaming tongues or um, whatever. So we get the Holy Spirit, um, the, the real like theological um, conversation, I think happens when we then talk about the Trinity. Like once we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then we have Trinity Sunday because we have to, you know, we got to do something with all of this. Yeah, and that wasn't a baiting question, I don't think. I think you're right on that. And this is what I was alluding to earlier. The Trinity is the foundation of it all. So just to kind of hopefully make a good point, if we think about the incarnation, so something we talked about in previous episodes, God Sends the God the Father sends the Spirit down upon Mary, and the Logos is born. So a perfect, a per the the Trinity working in union, and this beautiful thing happens for the sake of God's creation, which is us, is set in motion. At the resurrection, we uh, we at the crucifixion, we get a similar instance of the Logos crying out to God, God responding, the Spirit then moving. And, uh, and then in tradition, through the resurrection, the spirit of God moves uh, as the logos is resurrected. Jesus is resurrected. So when I see when you hear me say the word logos, uh, Bryn, you know I'm talking about Jesus, but for our listeners, talking about Jesus Christ. So you get these moments throughout Scripture, even into the Old Testament that I won't bore us with. But there's lots of examples in the Old Testament from creation itself to the time of the prophets, where you get this perfect movement of the word of God. God the Father and God the Spirit, all moving in, in union with one another. And Pentecost is a continuation of this perfect movement of the Godhead, of, of, of the Trinity. Um, so when I said earlier that the Trinity is the foundation of all, it truly is the foundation of it all. Like it all starts and stops with God. Without that, we aren't talking about Christianity anymore. I don't know what we're talking about at that point. If you, yeah. if you negate the Trinity, I don't know where we are. We're somewhere else. Um, and, and I think that's what makes this make sense. So the spirit of God is moving on God's people at Pentecost. And, and it has moved on God's people before, just not in this particular way. Um, and, and the logos is the one who, for, who forecasts this very reality. And then on Trinity Sunday, we recognize this perfect mysterious. And I think that's the key on Trinity Sunday. Uh-huh. It's not trying to figure it out like a math problem or some kind of relational problem or um, because you run into, and I'll talk about, we'll, we'll talk about those together in a minute, but you run into some issues. For the longest time, the church just had this, they would talk about God, the father, God, the spirit, God, the son, father, son, and Holy spirit. That was, that was the language Paul gave us father, son, and Holy spirit. Now, I know, and, and I don't want to get us off on a tangent unless we want to go there. I know there's a lot of issues with 
that father is this masculine son, masculine people have this, but that's just what we have. That's just what Uh we have in scripture, whether we like that or not, it's just what's there. Now we can work from that. And I think make some, some very solid theological claims, but we got to kind of accept this is where we land. And also noting again, to make my old Testament tie, the old Testament wasn't father, son, and Holy spirit. It was God that essentially God creator moved the spirit moved over the waters and the word was very much present in that the word of God, the word of God comes on to the prophet. So you just get this perfect unity that the early church then picks up and celebrates, not trying to figure it out. They don't try to talk about one and three, three and one. That's a heresy. It was just the mystery of the Godhead. And then a guy by the name of Tertullian in the 200s coins the the Greek word Trinitas, which then is what people associate with Trinity, but it wasn't a doctrine. It was just the a quick way of saying the Godhead and these in the way they understood this mystery as much as they could understand a mystery. Yeah. So what's great about Trinity Sunday is it lets us bask in the mystery, the foundation of it all. God. Yeah. God. We're there with God the Father. God the Son, God the Spirit, as we are each and every day of our lives. That is, and we recognize this perfect movement of God with God's people throughout time and space. And it's a beautiful thing. And Trinity Sunday for me, in some ways, is bigger than Pentecost in the sense that without Trinity Sunday or recognizing Trinity, Pentecost doesn't make as much sense. Because again, God's moving in this perfect way as God always has moved in this very perfect way. Um, so that's enough ranting and raving for me. I'm sure I've touched on some heresy in there myself, uh, but I think you get the point of my excitement about the Trinity and, and especially the Trinity in the early church. Um, you know, they, this was a big deal for them, but it wasn't a big deal to be explained. It wasn't meant to be intellectually thought through. And that's what you run into, right? And that's what we run into today. People trying to figure out, all right, one and three, you tell me it's three, that doesn't make sense. Three can't be one, one can't be three. They're completely different. And then you have people saying, well, that's the mystery of God. It's the beauty of God. Look at how God's moved in time and space. Look at this recorded history and scripture of God moving with God's people in this very powerful way of, and this Trinitas is Tertullian says, look at this beautiful thing that's happened, you know, and you get that back and forth. And that's what raises up different, different things. What are you thinking, Bryn? Well, I think that it's, I think people might wonder um, legitimately, like, well, if there wasn't even this doctrine for like 200 years um, and everything was fine before that, then like, why did we have to try to complicate things by creating doctrine. So I think it's worth saying that even though there wasn't a formulation of a doctrine early on, there was a difficulty. And the difficulty started pretty much immediately within the Jewish community, um, even when Jesus was alive, um, because he made these claims about himself as, as God um, and as the son of God, and then people around him, uh, you know, immediately after his death said, you know, truly this was God's son um, and came to know that like this, this is God, like this was not just a prophet. This was not just a holy person. This was God. 
And one of the problems that that created immediately within that Jewish community, way before it was even a Jewish Christian community, as though you could draw a line, maybe you can't draw that line. Um, But the difficulty was the, you know, one of the things that really set the set Judaism apart from other religions was their belief in one God. And, you know, the, the very first commandment is, you know, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Um, and you shall have no other gods. That was, I mean, that was paramount for Jews. And that's why we see over and over all of these stories in the, in the old Testament. I mean, you know, think about like the golden calf that, that the Israelites worshiped in the, in the desert. Um, these things were bad because they had been told explicitly, like in no uncertain terms, like there is one God and you cannot, you cannot worship, you know, Dionysus, you cannot worship Baal, you cannot worship these other gods. They don't, you know, and this was even before they made claims about the existence of these other gods. You might even think that these other gods do exist, but you cannot worship them. Um, And so when Jesus comes along and people are saying, this is God, this is God incarnate, you know, and, and starting to formulate, this is a God who's fully human and fully divine, then that was a real problem for the Jewish um, tradition. And for those who were trying to be really faithful to the Jewish tradition, because how do you reconcile that then? Well, then Christians, you know, had the Holy Spirit too. And they're like, oh my goodness, we have God, the the father who we, you know, this one we're familiar with. Now there's God, the son who we've, you know, come to love and adore. And now we have this Holy Spirit that's been given to us. How are we still monotheists? Like, how are we still faithful to the God of our understanding that tells us you can only worship one God. So how is it that we can only worship one God, but we know of God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And so it's, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want us to paint a picture. Like everything was fine until we started to create these doctrines. The doctrines had to be created because everything was not fine. Um, and people really struggled to be faithful. You know, I mean, I think we have to believe that the early, um, the early Jewish Christians were trying to be faithful Jews. Um, they weren't trying to leave Judaism and start this new thing. Uh, and so they really had a struggle with trying to figure out what, what this, you know, how do we explain this? What do we say about this? So to further illustrate this, what's interesting about Judaism and the Trinity and Jesus compounding things is we have to remember the Jews weren't, you didn't speak Yahweh's name. So when you think of stories um, like the burning bush, um, I am, these great I am's of the Old Testament. And we come to understand that to be the logos, the word of God. So what's interesting about the Jewish communities, they understood this way of God moving on God's people, but they never made the connection and never. And and we didn't make any sense that all of a sudden God would put on flesh and bones like them. It just didn't make 
they understood the word of God to be something that had spoken to the prophets, their ancestors, that, that had happened, but not as a human being with flesh and bones, just to further illustrate why that was really hard to grasp. And yet this is somebody that we're not even supposed to utter the name of. And now you're telling us you're the, you're the son of God. You're the son of God. Like I have a problem with this. So, but what's interesting though, to that point, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but what's interesting is the, the earliest church part of fathers, Ignatius, Irenaeus, Leon, I slipped up there. It was a little word slip there, but we'll let that go. Ignatius of Antioch. So the birthplace, one of the prime time spots of the early Christians. And he was alive right on the heels of Jesus. Um, <laughs> and then Irenaeus, they all talk about uh, the Trinity. They're talking about it. They're just not calling it the Trinity. So you get further down the line, and that's when the rise of Gnosticism in particular, the rise of, so you take somebody like Arius and Arius looks up and says, Hey, I got, there ain't no three modes. So let's, let me start with that. There's, there's modalism that happened first, which is we might say I am a priest. And at St. Luke's people know me as the priest. And that's what I, I have a function that I do. And then when I go home, Lennox and Brooklyn know me as dad, same guy different mode. And then I'm a husband. So Vanessa knows me as her husband, her partner, her spouse, not the same. Um, and that's how people started. That was the first heresy is, oh, this is just God's three modes. So even today, when we say one and three, three and one, which I have said before, guilty, that's modalism. That is limiting God into these modes of existence. Well, Arius comes along and he's like, hey, that's so wrong. That's not correct. And then he jumps up and says, I've got it figured out. It's God the Father and these two lesser existence. <laughs> and that's a problem. Uh-huh. He didn't see it as modalism, but now he just eliminated two parts of the Trinity as not being part of the Godhead, just a little less. And of course, he'll go on further to uh, illustrate that Jesus can't be fully human and fully divine at the same time. It just doesn't make sense to him. So Aries, Aries just kind of heads down the different path. And these things start to pop up in different forms or fashions, which forces the church to then essentially indoctrinate some language around the Trinity, which is first, and then you may disagree with me, Brent, I would make the case that it first happens at the Council of Nicaea in the creedal statements of that council, which are very Trinitarian statements, um, to, and it was primarily to rebut the, the two natures of Jesus. I mean, that was the rebuttal of the Council of Nicaea. Look, Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. But in order to do that, because they'd all been talking about the mystery of the Godhead, they just hadn't indoctrinated any kind of Trinitarian theology to it. Well, I guess there was a Trinitarian theology. They just didn't call it that. They made some statements about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That all happened. And you see this kind of continue then throughout church history and develop slightly. And other writers will then, as they kind of refute heresy, they, they lift these up. And the reason they do it, and it's the thing we always come back to, and the same thing you were saying, is it's paramount to our existence as Christians. This is the Godhead. This is the God that has moved with God's people from the beginning till this point, till right now, till you and me sitting on this recording and recording this podcast right now 
the Trinity is very much in action. This is Godhead. And I think that's why this feast day, although sometimes it's lesser known, is so vitally important and why we should, even if we risk heresy, should preach it and teach it and wrestle with it just as the early church folks did. They didn't try to, you know, in the beginning, try to indoctrinate. They lived into the mystery. It was just who God is. This is who God is. You know, only in our intellectual minds do we want to try to figure exactly who God is uh-huh. versus just living with God. Well, you know, and that's it. something when he said, love that's God. An, that's an interesting can of worms too, that, you know, we don't, we won't be able to get into here, but um, how important it is to make those definitions has been a really, a really difficult thing for the church. So I think it's just important to acknowledge too, that, um, you know, even for instance, the way that we strive or struggle to articulate our doctrines um, has some some variation. Uh, and in fact, you know, just to give like a, a a very a very brief example, um, the the rise of of scholasticism. Um, in, in the, you know, right before at the time of the reformation, basically before the reformation, um, the rise of scholasticism, like really, uh, it, it emerged as a, as a like philosophy or sort of school of thinking in the West that wanted to define everything and wanted to be able to really like create doctrines and definitions and have, um, sort of, you know, precision and fine formulas and whatnot. So that, you know, that really affected the Western church. The Eastern church at the same time really rejected a lot of that um, and and said, you know, we're, we're more content to say that there is mystery, that this is a mystery that cannot be defined. Um, and you see to this day, I think that difference in the Eastern and the Western churches um, you know, and the, the Roman Catholic church really is sort of like the, you know, the, the church of the West, whereas the Orthodox church is the church of the East. And you see this as a, as a real difference in, in those churches, the Anglican church straddles an interesting divide between both of those traditions. Um, and so I think, you know, you find, You'll find Anglican churches or Episcopalians who really are very comfortable with um, the mystery and saying, you know, we don't we don't totally know. We know that there's God, the Father, God, the Son, and the and God, the Holy Spirit. Um, and then you find others that will say, no, we really, you know, we've defined it, and it means these things. And uh, so there's there's some variation within within our big tent. Yeah, and I think that's a good place for us to kind of leave off by way of saying, when you think about the Feast of Pentecost and you think about Trinity Sunday, what we're thinking about is what it merely means to be a Christian. What it means to live into the Spirit, live into what God calls us to be and to do. And God calls us out of this perfect, mysterious, Trinitarian existence that is moved in our lives in ways that we don't even fully realize. And that's the beauty of our faith. And Pentecost lifts that up and sets uh, a very real existence of the church in motion in, in time and space now. 
and we might call that the institutional church sets in motion. The apostles go out and start planting, building on the synagogue life, planting churches and, and spreading this, this new thing. Um, you know, and another thing about Ignatius of Antioch, I mean, that's where the term Christian was really coined. So it's really interesting when you see his writing and him talking about the mystery of God as God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit very early on. Um, and that's what we lived up. And that's why it's so great in, in many ways and maybe ways more than we, more than we're willing to elevate having these two feast days right tied together, I think is a beautiful thing because that there it is, there it is the church and the foundation of all things. Um, and we're reminded of both and we need to be. Mm-hmm. So I would say, Live in the mystery. Just live into the mystery of the Trinity. Or you can take a pen and paper to church on Sunday and see how many heresies your preacher. <laughs> that's not the best thing to do. The best thing to do is just live into the mystery and yeah. realize that the Trinity has been in existence since the beginning. Yeah. And it's been moving. And this is God. This is who God is. And, uh, and it's powerful. So... Hopefully we'll see you in a church on Sunday and um, as we celebrate this great feast of the Trinity and remember just a week ago, Pentecost and what that means in our lives and what that means as a church is our call back, um, call back together, back to the unity, back to working and wrestling with one another because that's where God is moving even more so or where I think we realize where God's moving when we wrestle with one another, we come back together and we do the work that God calls us to do, which is very much a movement uh, out into the world. Well, and just to say too, that even though the feast of Pentecost was last Sunday, we're in the season of Pentecost now for a really long time. That that the season of Pentecost, the season of of having this gift of of this Trinitarian Godhead, um, we really just live into that mystery for a good long time in our liturgical calendar uh, and, and don't really change the calendar until we get to Advent. So that's not until the end of November. So we're going to be in the season of Pentecost for a long time, but I think it's worth saying too, that we are um, you know, we're wrapping up this first season of lit and we just have a couple more episodes that we're going to be recording. So We're going to be talking about uh, ordination of a bishop um, and confirmation, and we're going to be talking about our marriage right, Um, and then we're going to be kind of wrapping up for for this season. So stay tuned for the next couple of episodes of Lit, and then we'll have a little preview for you of, of what's going to come after that. All right. Until next time, folks, keep working on that spirituality. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Vaughn and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.